Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Wednesday, the 23rd of August, with me, Bernadette and Echo. We've lots of news to catch up on, and John T. Warris is going to fit us in on the main stories in the financial markets shortly. I'm also joined today by Dario Messi from Fixed Income Research, and he's going to help us make sense of these big yield spikes that we're seeing in the bond markets. And finally, we've got a really special update on the situation in China for you, but more of that later. For now, let's crack on with what's been moving markets overnight with John T. Good morning, John T. Good morning, Bernadette. So uh, shall we start with data today? I know there wasn't much released yesterday, but we did get US existing home sales data. What can you tell us there? Yes, that's right. We saw a fall actually in existing home sales in the US of 2.2% to 4.07 million, which was below the estimated 4.15 million sales. The figures show the reading dropping to a six-month low in July as homeowners locked into cheap mortgages refrained from selling their properties. And this comes as the cost of new mortgages climbed to their highest levels in decades, with the average rate on the popular 30-year fixed-rate mortgage topping 7% last week. US home prices have bottomed out after being pressured by the Fed's aggressive interest rate hikes, but the persistent shortage of properties for sale could limit any rebound as many prospective buyers are increasingly being forced out of the market. Okay, so uh, not a good time to be starting to climb the property ladder then. Um, Perhaps you could give us a summary of how the markets uh, reacted to this data. Sure. Well, US equities were mostly lower in trading yesterday, ending just off their worst levels, though the downside was fairly limited. And it's worth noting that trading volumes were particularly weak. And yesterday's modest weakness came after the S&P managed to snap a four-day losing streak in Monday's session. But yesterday, we saw the S&P fall further, weighed by concerns over rising Treasury yields ahead of a key speech later this week from Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, as well as declines in banking and retail shares. The US dollar was weaker versus the yen, but firmer versus the euro. Uh, Gold finished up 0.2% and WTI crude settled down 0.6%. In fixed income, uh, US Treasuries were mixed with the curve flattening a little following another backup in yields on Monday. Um, The yield on the 10-year reached its highest level yesterday in 16 years, touching the 436 mark, while the 30-year note reached the highest level since 2010, and 10-year tips also made fresh 14-year highs. Okay, we'll hear more about that from uh, Dario later, but uh, now let's talk about uh, Asia-Pacific markets. I see uh, Japan and Singapore both released some mixed data overnight. What can you tell us there? Well, we saw Japan's manufacturing and services PMIA data out this morning. Um, That showed that Japan's factory activity shrank for a third straight month in August amid higher oil prices and uncertainty over the global economic outlook. The PMI reading moved to a seasonally adjusted 49.7 in August. The index remained just below the threshold of 50 there, which separates contraction from expansion. And we also saw year-on-year CPI data for July out of Singapore, which showed that Singapore's headline and core inflation figures eased again in July. Uh, Inflation fell to 3.8%, lower than the estimated 4.2%. And the main drivers here were a fall in electricity and gas costs and only negligible increases in food prices. And Asian equity markets are trading mixed in today's session so far. um, Mainland China and South Korea opened lower and are still struggling while Hong Kong, Japan and Australia are edging higher, recovering any earlier losses they made today after the tech-driven rally on Wall Street petered out yesterday. And lastly, the Chinese yuan strengthened after the People's Bank of China continued its currency support with a stronger-than-expected fixing. 
Okay, so uh, the BRICS leaders kicked off their meeting yesterday in Johannesburg to plot the future course of the block of developing nations. Could you just give us the highlights of yesterday's meeting, please? That's right. Yeah. So at the opening of the summit, the uh, leaders of the BRICS nations, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, met in part to consider expanding membership as some members push to forge the bloc into a counterweight to the West. But in a speech delivered by Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao on President Xi's behalf at the start of the meeting yesterday, China said that it had no wish to engage in great power competition or create bloc confrontation. It added that BRICS would continue to grow whatever resistance there may be. China also stated that its economy was resilient and that the fundamentals for its long-term growth remained unchanged. And heightened tensions in the wake of the Ukraine war and Beijing's growing rival with the United States have pushed Russia, whose President Vladimir Putin will attend the meeting virtually, to strengthen the BRICS alliance. It sounds like there's plenty going on this week, uh, wherever you look in financial markets. So um, what can we expect for the day ahead, Jonty? Well, today is flash PMI day today. Later this morning, we can expect to see preliminary manufacturing and services PMI data for August for Germany, France, the UK and the Eurozone. And this afternoon also for the US, along with US new home sales for July and also Eurozone consumer confidence figures later today. So that will really give markets plenty of data to digest ahead of the opening of the Jackson Hole Economic Policy Symposium tomorrow. Uh, Companies due to report earnings today include NVIDIA, which briefly touched a record high yesterday, along with Analog Devices, Snowflake and Sidbank, as the Q2 earnings season now draws to a close. And a quick look at the futures board currently shows that US equities are set for a bright start later today with a sea of green. And that's about it from me for today. Thanks for the news update, John T. So uh, now it's time to consider those very high bond yields we're currently seeing. As Jonty mentioned earlier, the US 10-year hit its highest level in 16 years this week. And it's not just US government bonds whose yields have been escalating in the past days. Uh, Luckily enough, we've got Dario Messi joining us now to discuss this. Good morning, Dario. Good morning, Bernadette. Yields have moved up considerably this month. Is this likely to continue? Is it going to be at the end a repeat of last year with another year of heavy losses for bond investors? Yeah, I mean, first of all, yes, the recent weeks were once again very heavy. I mean, we heard it before from Chonti, he outlined uh, yields across developed markets rose uh, above the highs of last year's. And for the 10-year US Treasury yield, this also means that it hit levels uh, not seen since 2007. Um, But we have to say, at least performance-wise, the pain is not the same because we started already from a higher level. Um, this year. And we also don't expect kind of a continued unbroken uh, trend upwards from here from here until the end of the year. This is also why we would keep some duration exposure with quality bonds, even if the current rise in yields is against this. And uh, treasury bonds certainly belong to this pocket uh, as well. Um, now, the question is obviously what's holding up uh, this momentum at this point. Uh, we quickly discussed it uh, last week. There are several factors and and it's not uh, inflation fears at the moment. It's more uh, this economic resilience in the US from a cyclical perspective. And then uh, the the big debate on the neutral interest rate and and the US deficits and also the resulting treasury supply. Um, Basically, the, the idea is higher for longer policy rates and less room to cut once that cycle starts keeps this this upward pressure on the long end. And the long end, uh, you know, ultimately is just kind of a sequence of the expected short-term rates. 
Can you talk about this neutral rate of interest, Dario? It's, it's a bit of a difficult concept to grasp, to be honest. Perhaps you could explain it a bit for me. Uh, yes, you're right. It's, it's not kind of a very straightforward concept. It's, it's not very straightforward because it's also not observable. So the, the neutral or natural rate of interest is a theoretical construct. Um, it is basically the interest rate which balances capital supply and capital demand. And it does so in an equilibrium when the economy runs at full capacity or uh, potential. So in an environment when the economy is also not overheating and where inflation runs at target. And you see already here, it's very theoretical. Um, but it is an important concept for policymakers, especially uh, the central bankers, uh, because it tries at least to answer um, the question how tight current policy is. You simply need to compare uh, current rates to, to an estimated neutral rate. So might this neutral rate be higher than previously thought? Uh, the idea here that it could be the case comes from the fact that the economy is so resilient. And as I said before, we can't observe the neutral rate, but what we observe is the, the economic outcome, right? And the current economy or the current outcome uh, tells us that after all, we might, might not be that restrictive as we thought. And this means nothing else than the neutral rate is higher. Drivers behind the higher neutral rate could uh, also be from the supply-demand dynamics in the market for capital, uh, decreasing savings, at the same time higher budget deficits, uh, private investments. And then finally, also the big question about AI, is it the big new growth enhancer, which would also push up the neutral rate? Uh, you see a lot uh, of mostly structural considerations. We share some of the arguments, at least, uh, of a higher neutral rate, but would also be cautious to, to get too enthusiastic here. And on top of this, looking at the market pricing also, you see that already a much higher neutral rate is priced in actually. So another reason why we wouldn't change uh, our strategy here at this point to add some duration. What's next on the agenda for bond investors to get some more insights then in this regard? Yeah, John T quickly announced it uh, before, uh, most probably the, the Jackson Hole Symposium uh, over the next three days. Uh, it's a gathering of central bankers uh, hosted by the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. And it's normally exactly this kind of platform to, get, to discuss these structural topics. And uh, the topic on the neutral rate certainly belongs there. So we might get some additional insights on, on how central bankers uh, look at this topic uh, over the coming days. Okay, so all eyes on uh, Jackson Hole. Thank you so much for your insights today, Dario. Thank you. Yesterday, my colleague Helen Freer caught up with our head of research in Hong Kong, Richard Tang, to discuss the latest events in China and our expectations going forwards. They covered Chinese deflation, events in the property market. They delved further into the recent interest rate actions. And of course, Richard shared his current investment philosophy. It was such an interesting conversation that we thought we'd share it with you now. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Good morning, Richard. Thanks for joining me on the programme today. Hi, Helen. Good morning. So China has been in the headlines a lot lately. What has triggered the latest concerns about the country's economy? 
Well, I think uh, two things at least. Uh, the first thing is um, Country Garden, a uh, very well-known developer, uh, one of the largest uh, private developers in China. Uh, to be frank, if you ask me half a year ago, I still think Country Garden should be fine. Uh, but I guess um, the reality is that uh, the home sales continue to slide. Um, and as you can see uh, uh, in one of the slides that we prepare, uh, the home sales have continued to go down. Uh, and obviously for any uh, industry when you have uh, debt uh, and if you have continuing operating losses, uh, then uh, you start to get into financial problem. Uh, the second uh, issue that the market was focused on is a repayment challenge in the trust industry. Uh, we have an asset management company called Zhongzhi Group uh, and it's a related trust platform called uh, Zhongrong. Uh, don't uh, worry about the names, uh, but uh, I guess a uh, problem right now is that um, these companies uh, fail to repay uh, to redeem uh, their products. So uh, people are concerned about um, the uh, financial linkages uh, of the property downturn in China because these trust industries are known to be heavily invested in the property sector. Uh, so uh, if Country Garden is financial linkage of property downturn uh, and repayment challenge in the trust industry is also a result uh, of the financial linkage of the property downturn in China, um, people will start worrying about whether there will be any financial uh, chain link reactions or contagion. Uh, and how that affects growth. So um, the market is indeed uh, fairly concerned about the outlook here. With China's economy slipping into deflation, what impact do you think that's going to have? Firstly, locally for China and Asia, but also more broadly for the global economy. Well, I think um, the first thing I would mention is that when China is having a deflation versus the world having and inflation. Uh, this basically tells us that the end demand for China is really, really poor. Uh, and in this kind of environment, we are most concerned that the corporate margin may have to squeeze. Uh, and of course, uh, the earnings growth uh, would be under pressure. Originally, uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, consensus was expecting close to 20% uh, of earnings growth in China, not because they are having very optimistic view, but because of very low base. Uh, but now, if we consider um, the margin squeeze potential, then the earnings growth uh, could be below um, uh, mid-teens. Uh, and the on the global side, I think there are two things that we have to be, be concerned about. Uh, one is whether China would be essentially exporting deflation uh, to the world, uh, particularly uh, US uh, or Europe, uh, uh, the, the large economies in the world. Uh, and then the, the other thing is that because of the very weak growth in China, uh, I think uh, a lot of uh, those companies, for example, European brands uh, that have exposure to China, they may suffer. So I think the market is also looking at uh, how that may affect uh, the earnings outlook of those companies. Yesterday, we heard that China left their five-year loan rate unchanged and they cut the one-year loan rate, but by less than expected. Markets didn't seem to like these decisions at all. What's your take on this, Richard? To be frank, I don't like it either. Um, but I guess what it shows is that the banks in China are under uh, profitability stress. Uh, I think the reason for not uh, lowering the five-year loan rate uh, further uh, basically means that they can't take it anymore. For your background, uh, the five-year loan rate um, is indicative of the mortgage rate uh, in China. So it's similar to the 30-year uh, mortgage rate in the, in the U.S. Uh, and the, and the, the decision of not lowering 
Uh, that effective mortgage rate means that um, they're concerned about the profitability in the banks uh, in China, uh, and they don't want to stress the profitability further uh, to make it vulnerable. Uh, so I think um, in order to have um, the five-year loan rate uh, to be cut eventually, they will have to cut the deposit rate first so that the funding costs of Chinese banks got lower, uh, and then they can cut the five-year loan rate um, maybe in a few months later. Okay, let's talk now a little bit more about the property sector, which you've already touched on. Um, It's been really struggling, as we all know. Do you think we can expect to see more support from the government to give the property sector a boost? I I think they should be uh, giving a boost. And the most likely option are uh, home purchase restrictions, as well as giving a cut on the mortgage rate. I think the market was disappointed because the Polybro meeting indeed gives a green light uh, to changing or refining the policies in the housing sector. But so far, there has been almost no follow-up measures from the different local governments. Uh, I think if I have to explain this, I think the local governments are still uh, considering uh, a few dilemmas uh, and trying to balance between you know, saving the property downturn versus not creating another bubble, even though personally, I think the chance is low. But I guess the bigger question we have to ask ourselves is, even if we see all the property relaxation measures that we want to see, uh, do we see a pickup in new home sales? Because right now, uh, it looks to me that the buying constraint is less on the property side, uh, sorry, it's less on the policy side, but more on the intangible part of the confidence of home buyers. Because in the past, when Chinese, mainland Chinese, they uh, bought a home, uh, a lot of time is because they have an expectation of home prices going up. Uh, and with three years of hassle, um, this um, uh, expectation already uh, destroyed. So I think um, even if we have seen all the restrictions removed, uh, my sense is that the new home sales may not actually improve that much. And I think that's a, a bigger problem. So with all these latest developments then, the risks to growth in China have increased, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, With the housing sector crisis, I think that first hurt the confidence on consumers, uh, or as I said, home buyers. Uh, It also hurt confidence on entrepreneurs because they are Feel, they're feeling less confident about the economic outlook, uh, as well as investors in equity and also bond market. That's a, sort of more the intangible part. But the tangible part, uh, if we can pull the slide again, uh, is the property construction, uh, the housing construction fell in line with the new home sales. Uh, and that, of course, would hurt the fixed asset investments. Um, that's on the investment side. Uh, and with the property prices going down, what we are seeing right now is that the wealth effect uh, is hurting consumption, uh, not to mention that uh, China is actually facing the challenge of uh, poor exports. Uh, so uh, our economists, because of all these, uh, taken down the GDP growth in China from 5.2% to 4.8% this year, uh, and for next year, down from 4.5% to 4.2%. But having considering all these, we still think the risk is on the downside, um, largely because we think that uh, right now the policy is still too little, too slow. And what does this all mean then in terms of our current investment recommendations? Have there been any changes there? Yeah, so previously we were asking our clients to trim on bounces uh, because we were expecting a few technical bounces along the way. Obviously, the bounce was so short and small, uh, so there are no bounces to sell. 
but even with that, we would still suggest our clients to trim, uh, especially if their position on China is too large, because I think the key is to ask whether there will be sustainable upside uh, with Chinese equities. And our base case for Chinese equities right now is that we're thinking more along the the, the uh, prolonged stagnation as our base case, which would be fairly similar to 2011 to 2015, if you look at a, a chart in the Chinese equity. So in other words, China equities may be dead money for a while. So we don't see uh, a lot of reason to, to hold it for very long, to be frank. So that was great to get Richard's insights on this evolving situation in China. Well, it's been a busy show today. I do hope that you've enjoyed it. Please join Helen again tomorrow to stay up to date with what's moving markets. Meanwhile, good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player.